This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a win Wednesday, and you might actually be listening to this on a Wednesday. The 49ers went to a dark place and delivered Bill Belichick his worst home defeat as a Patriots head coach. And with me this week, falling into the end zone against his will, it's David Newman. <laughs> <laughs> always, always against my will. What a bad luck move. From my, from my dude, Todd Gurley. That was like, that game, oh, oh man. Um, I did not watch much of it, but yeah. Yeah, Stafford is uh, my fantasy quarterback, the only fantasy quarterback that I had that wasn't on a bye in in the the Dynasty League or the the Keeper League. And so, yeah, I was I was watching that game with bated breath. Um, it's a big week, dude, big week. We're trying something a little new, getting the pot out on Tuesday night. So that way we can have it out on Wednesday, get it out a little earlier in the news cycle. I think we're going to see how this goes. We're going to try it. Uh, it means we have to sprint to watch a lot more film and do a lot more videos on, <laughs> on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to give it a shot because we care about you. You're, you're the important person here. Getting you the shot of dopamine that you need when you listen to these dulcet tones <laughs> is really what we're all about. We will have a Patreon video up. Tomorrow, the turning point video with two really good plays that we're going to talk a little bit about on the pod, but we'll go into much more depth on the the Patreon video. Got a new coffee grinder this week, David. Whiskey Club is back. We get to hang out with the bros uh, virtually via Zoom. Try two new whiskeys that I'm really excited about. Um, it's going to be great. Very exciting stuff. It's an exciting week. It's it's uh, things are just much better when the Four Niners are winning. Yeah, seriously, it, because th- this was. Uh, this this was just dismantling. This was yeah. uh, when a good team goes up against a not good team and absolutely steamrolls them. And obviously the Patriots got, you know, they have some name recognition and Cam Newton, you know, is an MVP. He can play well. But oh man, this was not a good game for the Patriots. And, and it started really with the game plan from Kyle Shanahan. Second week in a row, we've employed the minimize your quarterback game plan to great effect. Run the ball heavily. Get a good game out of your offensive line. Get the ball out quickly. Don't ask your quarterback to do too much. But to Jimmy's credit, when he was asked to do something, he did it well enough to put the dagger through the heart of the Patriots. And all of a sudden, it's 33-6. to 
Yeah, it was. Um, I, I, I mean, I think we, so we were talking about this, you know, during our pregame chat um, with Patreon and it was just like, it felt like it was going to be one of those games that was just kind of like close and short and, you know, maybe even a little bit boring because it was like you had two teams that you knew wanted to really run the ball in an ideal world and, um, you know, maybe in, and try to play good defense behind that. And it seemed like the Patriots defense would be, um, you know, in good enough position. You expected a Belichick led defense and game plan on that side of the ball from them to like, you know, keep it close and not let things get out of hand. And I think, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it was really another just excellent game plan from Kyle Shanahan to set everything up, um, you know, set all these guys up for success and, and really kind of make the job as easy as possible on them. And I think um, if you missed it during the, the the broadcast, Tony Romo only mentioned it a hundred million times, but they were really finding a lot of different ways to get after the edge. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I thought was was really interesting because you, we talked about the game plan against Miami, and Miami had a game plan where they you know they ran that six one where you've got six men on the line of scrimmage and you've got one linebacker kind of plugging one of the holes, whether it be an a gap or a b gap depending on alignment, and and how that stops the outside zone, which is bread and butter, is great. I mean, basically you've got your a through your d gaps completely covered, and Kyle Shanahan's like there are more letters in the alphabet. I'm gonna go <laughs> ahead and hit yo e. Right. E string on the guitar. Let's make it happen. And he basically just used all manner of way to get outside of even that outside alignment from Bill Belichick. And he did it a couple different ways. One way was with the jet motion. One way was with, was with orbit motion. And, and what was funny is you could tell that on the side where you were going to get the motion, whether it was a swing pass or an actual handoff or a tap pass, you had like juice or Kittle out there effectively acting lined up in the slot but also effectively a lead blocker. And, and this is the kind of offense that Shanahan loves, and this is the kind of offense that's going to give defensive coordinators fits because you got a, a tight end in Kittle who was a legitimate threat lined up in the slot that you've got to worry about and put a coverage defender out there. But this time he's lead blocking, and he's also a punishing blocker. It's like You can't win. You can't win when you've got a player who can do everything well and, and the, the people who win in this point are, are the 49ers because they, they were getting outside of what Belichick thought he could contain, and it was just money every time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's brutal when you get attacked and like get outflanked like that over and over. I think it's really tough for a defense when you're just, there's all of these different wrinkles that they're throwing at you. And for the 49ers offense, right, and, and this is the kind of the beauty of things um, that Shanahan does so consistently is like, giving that illusion of complexity to the defense, but really for your guys, for your offense, it's a lot of the same stuff over and over, right? Like a lot of these screens that they're using, you know, you use the motion, you throw the little swing screen out to the receiver. And like, you're showing this from a bunch of different formations. You're giving them different looks on the motion sometimes. Um, and it's just like, ultimately it settles to, to what's a very simple play to execute for your players but you're you're dressing it up so well and, and giving the the defense so much to think about pre-snap that they just can't be in position to defend this stuff. And, and then the moment you start to get them outflanked and and they're really worried about, you know, again, protecting that edge, then that's when things eventually start to kind of open up in the middle of the field and, and you get them out of some of those defenses that they were in, um, you know, like the 6-1 to be able to sh- 
to shut down some of that inside running stuff um, that they want to get to. And so it's just a, it's a really, when things are clicking that well for them and, and Shanahan's on that way as a play caller and, and just kind of setting these things up over and over that are complementing each other, like they're, they're very, very difficult to stop. Yeah, I think one one example of what this kind of pre-snap motion can do to linebackers was, you know, you've got a play where you've got orbit motion, the play goes out to the player who's in motion, and it's a reception with two lead blockers out there, one of which was Juice. A very similar looking play with orbit motion. This time, the orbit motion shifts the linebackers over because they have to respect that motion, and it opens up a huge window in the middle of the field for for George Kittle on double slants. It's like you, you, you're just getting hit every single way where you think now you're shifting to account for the run, but that shift to try to get ahead of something you just saw two plays ago is now creating a huge space in the middle of the pass defense, and it's George Kittle on a slant, and all of a sudden you've got to worry about that dude coming at you. Um, and it, is, it's that, just is that ev- the one that um, I'm making sure I'm thinking of the same play? The, the one where he like sells the block first, right? Where they're selling the block, or is that... Or am I thinking of a different play that also is like a they're setting? There was right. a different play where he's selling the block. Yeah this, yeah, this was like in the first four snaps of the game where it's just straight up double slants. Uh, but because the linebackers shift over with the motion, it's like you've got a huge void in the middle of the field that now all of a sudden George Kittle can exploit and it's pitch and catch from Garoppolo to Kittle. Yeah, so that was um, like mean, another example, right? So you get the so the kind of play that I'm I'm referencing, right? They've they've been running what are you get that orbit motion, which is the orbit motion difference between orbit and jet is relative to where they go, they cross the center from the quarterback's perspective. So jet motion is going to be for a quarterback and shotgun uh in front of him. Um if he's under center, it's gonna be like kind of directly behind him. So that's your jet motion. Orbit motion is behind the back. So it's that big kind of sweeping motion. Um, and so what they were doing a lot was they would get, you know, Debo or Ayuk out on that orbit motion, and then they would just get a quick snap and throw out a screen, you know, um, which was basically like another way to get to kind of like a bubble screen on it. And then so they, they, they've been doing that. They showed that a lot last week as well. So, you know, it's on the Patriots minds. And then you hit them with this play where you sell that same action Kittles out in the slot selling like he's going to block for that screen waits for the defender to bite outside to try to get into his basically his fit against the screen and then breaks to a wide open space over the middle of the field right so it's just it's things like that over and over where you have one thing that's setting up another and it's just making the job of the 49ers offensive players incredibly easy the other thing that it did was it really moved the Niners away from something that Brian Flores did when when in that game plan against Miami but it was really sending a blitzer in that a gap to try to disrupt either the blocking scheme or end up getting just someone quick with interior pressure to Garoppolo. And by attacking the edges of that defense, you basically invalidated that 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 blitzer, that blocker, and ended up having you know the the defense of the Patriots compromise in a couple different ways. So I mean, it was a really really smart game plan to do it. But the game plan doesn't work if you don't have an offensive line that is playing very very well. And we talked in, in the pregame a bit about how the onus was on Ronis. And he definitely was up to the challenge, especially when it came to run blocking. But dude struggled a little bit in pass blocking. But luckily, weren't too many pass uh, protection plays that we had to worry about. But he was a reasonable fill-in. I think the most, the most important thing that he did, though, was he kept the communication up to a reasonable level. They weren't as pervasive as they were in previous weeks. And, and he allowed, really, Jeff Wilson to capitalize on some open holes. And also Jeff Wilson just did some Jeff Wilson things and, and actually broke a couple tackles. He had a couple of really just lateral cuts that were awesome where something was stuffed up and was able to get to an open hole. But 
This offensive line is starting to gel. You're starting to see some continuity. We talked three, four weeks ago about it. Dan Brunskill may not be the answer. Uh, and he's had a couple of good games. You know, still Jerry's still out, I would say. But things are beginning to come together for this offensive line, even with a revolving door at center. Right. I mean, Brunskill at this point, right, you're just asking him not to be a liability. Like, just just please don't be terrible, right? When you and, and then I think when you have the guys that you're really relying on at this point, right, that need to be, I think, very good week in, week out, we're all very good in this game, right? It, it's the left side of your line and Lakin Tomlinson and Trent Williams. They were both excellent. Um, and then I think McGlinchey also was was very solid in this game. You know, he wasn't um, maybe quite as dominant, I think, as the left side um, was in this game. But you, you get good performances from those three you're just asking the other two to not be terrible, right? And if you can get that, then you're you're in good shape. You have a, a, a nice, competent offensive line that's going to be working well together, and you can get kind of your big blocks and and hopefully generate some of the bigger plays in the run game. And, of course, like your tackles are obviously going to be the most important players as far as your pass protection goes. So if you're in good shape there, then a lot of things can start going. Um, but yeah, Shanahan continues to make their life a little bit easier as well. I mean, all of that stuff, all of those quick throws, Jimmy's, um, you know, time to throw and average depth of target were both low again in this game. So you're continuing to do things. Um, and, and I think, you know, his play action rate was, was super high as well in this. And so you're doing a bunch of things that are also like making life easier for the offensive line in the, the snaps that they do have to pass protect. Jimmy Garoppolo used play action on 55% of his dropbacks per PFF. One of the highest rates in a game this season. The only other players above 50% this season so far. Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, Nick Mullins, and Cam Newton, incidentally. Like week two. Uh, but yeah, but that, that makes sense. But everyone else... All just an apple off that Shanahan tree. Yep. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I was thinking the the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh when this offense is running in its ideal state, like this is what it looks like, right? You're you're making things easy for the quarterback. You're using a lot of play action. You're playing with a lead, and so you're keeping all of these options on the table. All of your your trick stuff, all of your your kind of special plays here that are really giving you an edge offensively are all on the table because you're not in a situation where you're playing from behind and you're just having to drop back and throw. What? Mm. <laughs> Almost died there for a second. Yeah. I thought I was going to have a coughing fit. I, was, I did not. I Luckily, I, I saved it. My throat closed up and was like, no, don't go down the wrong tube even though there's only one tube. One player who did not make, uh, who did not get a lot of snaps, Jarek McKinnon. I know your fantasy team felt that pain. Fantasy teams all over the country felt that pain. I'm sure they did. Uh, what do you make of that? Because that just seemed weird. Like, don't get me wrong. Jeff Wilson had a great game. And, and I do think that Jeff Wilson, Jarek McKinnon, uh, they're relatively interchangeable. Tevin Coleman, uh, you know, probably the the one bringing up the rear to those trio, but you know, it, the, you it's the offensive line that makes this thing go. And and we just talked about how they perform well. So that I think, notwithstanding, he didn't get very many snaps. And Shanahan said it was because they needed to rest his legs because he had had a heavy workload a couple weeks before, where he played like sixty seven snaps. But we're seven weeks in, and you're telling me, my dude, in one game of like a full workload after having two years off. All of a sudden, needs a break again. 
uh, my guy's leg should be the most fresh, right? Like, uh, all that time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little weird. Um, it's, I, I would say not a great sign that he is getting fewer carries than juice. Like juice had four carries in this game and, and Jerry McKinnon had three, like not the, the best look. Um, yeah, I mean, it was certainly unexpected. Uh, you know, this was another thing that we talked about a little bit on on the kind of pregame chat on Patreon, which was like, what do we think is going to happen with the backfield? And it seemed like they would fall into what they did the last time that Mostert was out, was out which was going to be Jarek McKinnon is kind of the guy that handles the bulk of the touches and, and the bulk of that workload. And then you're going to have, you know, of course, some some snaps from the other guys because we know that they're always going to use multiple players uh, at that position. And so... It was definitely, I think, a bit of a surprise to me, at least a surprise for my fantasy team that uh, he was basically non-existent in this game. I mean, he, again, three carries uh, lost a yard total like it just it wasn't a great outing and he wasn't used very much. It wouldn't surprise me if he had done something to to piss off the coaches and didn't get a bunch of snaps uh, a la Dante Pettis. But but I think that the fact that they said that they needed to rest his legs, I, I think that does not bode well for the the state of his leg. Um, you know, that there's just two years of not playing because you just had setbacks with that ACL for someone who really relied on that explosion and athleticism. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that that's a really just, it's a bad omen, all things considered, um, which sucks because I was really excited to see what he could do in this offense. And it seems like he's kind of, you know, in, in a, in a comp, he's going to need to be that complimentary role. They're going to need to keep him on a pitch count. Um, a little bit like what, what the team had to do with Todd Gurley, just cause he had arthritis in his knee, right? It's something that gets worse with usage. Um, you know, and, and I'm certainly not saying that that's what he has, but it just, it's worrisome and, and it sucks. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think something to monitor for sure. I mean, hopefully it is just something, uh, you know, a case of like some soreness in that, that he's like trying to work out and, and, and work through because it hasn't been, you know, it's gone through obviously all of that trauma from the injuries and the setbacks there. And, and now he's just kind of like getting it back into to a more normal condition where it's being used a bit more heavily. And so hopefully it's something like that. And he just did need a little rest and, and we'll continue to see him, um, you know, in that kind of limited action and at least making the most of those opportunities kind of like we saw, you know, earlier in the season. This was a game, though, where the Niners were able to stay on schedule. Garoppolo did not see very much pressure. He was able to do what he does from a clean pocket. He was only pressured on 18.5% of his passes. Five snaps where he was pressured. The Patriots blitzed 11 times. He was only pressured on five snaps. He didn't have pressure in his face. He probably had more pressure in his face when he decided to take off and run and basically kill any like palpitating heart of a Niner fan. Uh, but he was feeling it, man. He was feeling it. He wanted to get hit. He wanted to come back to New England and say, Bob Kraft, you were wrong. Uh, and now you're trotting out Jared Stidham. I could have been your boy. We could have been a contender. But no, now I'm over here doing it for the Niners. And that play that he took off running, like especially now, I think that fear is there just in general after you know the, the torn ACL and, and how all that played out. Um, but now with the high ankle sprain, especially, you're like, dude, just like, no, please, no, stop doing that. And and so, yeah, like the whole time he's like taking off trying to pick up that first down on uh, the on the third down play there on that opening drive was just like, I mean, obviously ends up well and, and was a big play for them. But uh, you, you just the whole time I'm worried, I'm like, something bad's going to happen. A knee's going to shred again. Somebody's going to come over that he doesn't see and just like decapitate him. Like just stop, please. Yeah. And that's, and that's a turf field. 
At this point, I'm like crusading against turf. Yeah, fuck, fuck that. Uh, ultimately, though, the Patriots were blunted by a good Niner defense and their own mistakes. One of those mistakes that you might look to when thinking about what the Patriots did in this game was not run Cam Newton. We talked a few weeks ago about how the Niners had a pretty wicked slate of quarterbacks who could run. Cam Newton, chief among them. This is the team that we, I think we set the over under at like, what, 13 quarterback runs in this game? Uh, and and you were like, oh yeah, the over. You were predicting like 15, 15 runs is yeah, where we were. Yeah, the question was like nine, and I was like, shit, he's going to have like 15 in this game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and yet he had a season low 19 yards on five carries. And and so what, what explains the fact that he just didn't have uh, a lot of carries and didn't have a lot of yards? I think it's two things, right? Um, I, I think first off, they just didn't have the ball in the first half, right? Like, I, I mean, especially you look at that second quarter. So, you know, in the first quarter they had, they had two possessions. They weren't three and out, but they weren't long possessions either. But then especially once the second quarter hit, I mean, the 49ers had the ball for what felt like that entire quarter. I mean, they, they ran so few plays New England did in that second quarter. And then by the time you get the ball again in the second half, like the game's already out of hand. So I just was like looking at um, at his run. So he had five carries total. Two of those were scrambles. So that leaves three, right, for designed runs. All three of them came in the first quarter. So it, it's in the game plan, right? It, it, it is it's something that they want to do and something they wanted to do in this game. He's on track if they have the ball more often, if the game's a little bit closer, to continue to pile up those carries. But you know, again, when, when you're not on the field and then suddenly you come back on the field in the second half and you're down by three scores, you kind of have to throw that stuff out the window and, and just, um, you know, rely on the passing game to try to catch up. And that obviously played into the 49ers hands. That's not a position the Niners feel at all this season against <laughs> maybe Philly or Miami. But the part of the reason that, that Cam had a bad game was also because of the performance of the 49ers linebackers in the game. And this is really the story of get you a linebacker that can cover. I mean, the, the Niners have, at this point, a long history of good linebackers. Even if they retire after a year, still very good linebackers. I'm talking about you, Chris Borland. It's okay. I respect that you care about your brain. But you've got a long tradition, and you've got Fred Warner now who's continuing that tradition. He had a fantastic interception where he doesn't even need to be in coverage on this guy, sees him coming across the field and picks the ball up off the grass. You've got Aziz Alshire, who looks brisk. He looks like he's got some spring in his step, like maybe he needed an extra year to come back from his ACL. He was flying around. He had a forced fumble. He had the highest coverage grade, I think, from PFF in that game for a linebacker, in large part because of that forced fumble. Dre Greenlaw, two stops, targeted three times, allowed one reception for three yards, this was a, a Patriots team that wanted to target the intermediate area of the field and just had no place to throw because the Niners are looking at the modern hybrid linebacker that can cover ground and cover people. And, and this is a game where it paid off, even though they were playing a lot of three linebacker looks. Right. This was, I, I think, um, you know, a, a game when you look at it from New England's perspective and kind of what they're their game plan was, or at least what it, it kind of had to turn into once it became a game where they, they had to sit back and throw more frequently. Right. Which like the passing concepts that they were running were really like 
trying very hard to get one receiver open in kind of the intermediate middle area of the field. So try to get something right in front of Cam's vision, you know, that that's easy for him to find. And like, they must feel most comfortable that like, those are the type of throws that he's best on and that he can hit most consistently right now. And, and there weren't a lot of other options. A lot of times it was like, okay, I got this one primary receiver that I'm going to hit in that area of the field. And then if it's not there, I'm going to give them, you know, honestly, sometimes two or three check down options that were, you know, guys that that just were sitting there five yards or less from the line of scrimmage waiting, you know, just kind of turning around and and like trying to make themselves available if he couldn't get the ball out. And and so it it was like they were hoping basically for this one option. And if not, check it down or try to make something happen with your legs. And, and it just wasn't there. And then he just wasn't accurate. I mean, um, was through uncatchable passes on the third of his attempts, which was the second highest rate um, in in this Yeesh. week. Yeah, just really ugly. His overall accuracy percentage was um, was one of the worst in the league this week. So it it was just a, a very rough game, and he had some really really ugly snaps in that. Like some of those uncatchable passes weren't just like your normal uncatchable throw. Like there were there were passes that just looked odd coming out of his hands that were just like straight at the dirt. You know, like the the yeah. Warner interception as well. The, like, yeah, was, it was low. It was really weird coming out of his hand and just he just looks off. His mechanics look fucked up. Like, yeah, he, he was really, really bad in this game. Yeah. And now the, the Niners are I mean, this was a game that it wasn't necessarily chalked up as a win when you're looking at the schedule, but they emerged in a really, really positive place. One thing I wanted to take a, a moment to look at was the safety situation, because this could be the defensive backfield of the future. When when you look at Tavares more at free safety, you look at Marcel Harris at strong safety. Uh, and, and this was a game where the, the Niners really came out and didn't do a lot of fancy things. They came out, played a ton of cover three, played a lot of single high. Tavares Moore played 39 snaps at free safety in that deep middle position, only four in the box. The Niners do some safety rotation, but they do have some clear preferences in which they want to play their players. It was, uh, like, I mean, secondary of the future. Like, I want to opt out of that future. Can I opt out of the future? You you can opt out of the future, but the fact is they don't have anyone signed after um, this year except for for Jimmy Ward. And and after that, you've got, you know, you've got Jamar Taylor, who might be a cheaper option than K1 Williams. You've got Jason Verrett, who the team might look and say he's three years younger than Richard Sherman and end up signing him instead of Richard Sherman. Uh, and you've got Emmanuel Mosley, who is going to be a restricted free agent and and he is, you know, we kind of know what he is at this point, but he's probably the likeliest player to that we know is going to stick around who's going to start. But Jaquaski Tart is a free agent. So, you know, really looking at those safeties, how did those safeties do? Did they play well enough in, in extended play? Even, you know, understanding that they didn't have, that they weren't threatened a whole hell of a lot. How did they perform in in the play in which they had? I think the 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 part about them not being threatened a lot is huge because yeah, I don't, I don't think it was stuff that really showed up or, or would have been very obvious um, in watching this game live on the broadcast, right? They, they, they weren't involved as a primary coverage defender on, on very many plays. Um, like I think Harris saw two targets and I don't think um, Tavarius Moore saw even a single target hit come his way. But I think overall, when you look at what they were doing you know, um, some snaps when they, when they had, you know, more of an isolated matchup that happened to be away from where the ball went, um, or some plays where they were, you know, maybe as a deep defender with Tarvarius Moore, you know, playing that deep middle and in, in cover three, um, and just some of the stuff that, 
he where he wasn't really in great position to take away some of the routes that he should have been taking uh, uh, taking away and the the Patriots and Cam Newton just weren't able to take advantage again they were kind of so focused in on getting to that intermediate level of the field that they, the safeties just weren't really challenged a lot. And it was because, you know, again, the 49ers did play, like you mentioned, a lot of cover three. So it wasn't a quarters heavy game like we've seen from them at other times where when you get some of those quarters heavy games, those safeties become a lot more involved on throws that aren't just deep down the field. Right. And, and so they're, they're kind of involved in that stuff a little bit more often see the ball come their way a little bit more. And so we have, kind of more plays to really evaluate what they're doing when they're targeted. Um, but I think, yeah, like it, it wasn't an encouraging game. I thought both safeties really um, weren't all that great when you kind of watch the the coaches tape there. And, and I think I would be worried um, about a team watching this film and saying like, you know, if we have a, a quarterback that's playing better, I don't know, say Russell Wilson, we're going to go after those safeties. Like I, I that, that concerns me a, a passing attack like that that wants to go deep with what we saw from this game that that could turn very ugly i think so the i'll, I'll say two things one about marcel harris who i thought had a, a good tackling game and by that i mean he didn't miss any tackles which is unusual for my dude marcel harris um that is a very and he he ranks consistently at the bottom of the league in missed tackle rate over the course of his entire career he is not a good tackler. And in this game, he didn't miss any. But he still had a couple of tackles. He had two stops, five tackles. That's a step up for my dude. So let's give him some credit where credit is due. First off, I, I think if you're looking, if you're if you're looking at Tarveris more, I, I think that it's it's difficult to make a determination one, one way or the other about how he whether or not he's developed or, ta- or taken a step forward. I think he definitely looked more confident. He certainly is fast. But when you're looking at the Fred Warner interception, we talk about it a little on the Patreon. He actually isn't in a super great position to really play the post, which is the the route he should be worried about. And while it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, it shows up as an interception. You think overall the defense has done well. A defensive coordinator is going to look at that and be like, oh, we might have that post. And when you're going up against Tyler Lockett, and when you're going up against DK Metcalf, and when you're going up maybe the most accurate deep ball thrower in... A long, long time. <laughs> Dude's good. This, this, yeah, this good. Uh, he, this could be a problem. So those are the things that you see that maybe you have to worry about. I think jury's still out. I'm super excited about Tavares Moore. I am. I, I love his profile. I love his speed. Um, and, and I think that he can be a really quality piece, especially if the Niners transition to a quarters defense, which, man, at this point, maybe you should. Um, but, but I think overall, he's the guy that kind of excites me the most of all the players uh, that that we've seen that could be starting secondary players for the 49ers next year. And I think it it makes sense because we've seen the least of him, right? Like he's the guy that that we've um, seen on the field the least compared, you know, Marcel Harris at this point, we've had plenty of opportunities to see him on the field, you know, for different stints. And so 802 snaps for Marcel Harris over the course of his career. Wow. That's even more than I would have thought, honestly. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think it, there's much more of a feeling with Marcel Harris is that like, we know what he is and, and that's really a player that should be, you know, a backup, uh, safety with Tarverius Moore. There's the athleticism and there's the potential still because we haven't seen him on the field quite as much. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would love to see him get some more time and, and I think especially get some more time in some of the looks that I feel like 
put him in a better position to do what he does well, right? Which is some of those quarters looks and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know that he's going to be, you know, the, the deep free safety in, in your single high type looks. Um, I don't know that that's where he's going to excel at the most, like give him an opportunity to kind of get down, um, in more individual coverage situations and use some of those abilities that, you know, they thought might allow him to move to corner. All right, let's get some quick hits. But first, a word from our sponsors. This week's pod is brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, just like the flexibility that David is is exhibiting right now as he leans back in his chair and takes a sip of his beer. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere, just for you, because of us, just for you. Best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply, but we probably won't read them. Offer valid through December 31st. This week's pod is also brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, David. Did you know? In our quick hits, right at the top, the home team determines the official stat sheet. And that means that some dickhead. Over at the Patriots stat sheet, you know, little booth that I'm sure they have with all the nerds and their glasses and their little, you know, calculators and stuff, did not give DJ Jones a sack when he tapped Jared Stidham down after Stidham tripped over his center. That's a, a run for negative three yards on the official stat sheet. I mean, neither, like, so look, I, so I did know this about the home team. Um, and the part of, you know, things that, that you learn while working at PFF, um, so I knew that the home team did it. And it's also like one of those things that makes you realize like how much, you know, people put a lot of stock into the quote unquote uh, official stats. And when you realize that it's really just some dude on each team, it's a different dude for every team, right? Like they all have their guy, their play-by-play guy or their, their team of guys that, um, that do the stuff. Like they might just like what one person thinks is a tackle, might not be what another person thinks is tackle, right? Like one team might give out um, a lot more assisted tackles 
than another team who doesn't like really like to throw in assisted tackles all that much. So like there's all of this like variation from, from team to team and stadium to stadium, like on how they keep track of that stuff that once you realize like this plays a perfect example, it's shouldn't be a sack for DJ Jones, but it certainly wasn't a run like dumb. All I know is that it should be a sack for DJ Jones. Damn it. I want my dude to get some sacks. Uh, and and he if he does get credited with the sack, which apparently the team is per Matt Barrows, the team has asked the league to look into it to credit him with the sack. If he does get this sack, he will be second on the team with three sacks. Second to, of course, Kerry Hyder. Uh, per Next Gen Stats, Emmanuel Mosley covered 129.6 yards on his 51-yard interception return, which is the second most yards traveled by ball carrier in the 2020 season. Wow. I mean, it felt 0. like 6. it too. It really felt like that long. It did. It did. I, I love the 129.6. Yeah. Like, <laughs> excellent. But Fred Warner, fifth highest odds to win defensive player of the year per bet online. Our sponsor from top. Fifth highest odds to win defense, 25 to one odds to win defensive player of the year. My guy's very good. He is is very very good. One of the best linebackers, uh, I think, in the, the NFL at this point with with the way he's been playing the season. And you know, it's it's going to depend. I, I think if you see the 49ers come through this tough schedule and find their way in the playoffs again, and, and that defense has been able to hold up strong despite all these injuries, Fred Warner is going to be a big reason why that's true, and and should have a very good case for that. We said it a few weeks ago, but I think Nick Bosa is the best player on this defense. And I think maybe behind him is Fred Warner and not Richard Sherman, which may get the second player nod for a lot of other people. But I think Fred Warner is indeed that good. Could Tony Romo be any less interested in calling a game? He wanted to nope the fuck out of this game so hard. He like several times he was like, are we going to the bonus coverage? Bonus coverage? There's 22 minutes left in this game. Can we uh, can we get out of here? I got a, I got a tea time. <laughs> like let's he was so disinterested he did not care at all i mean look i can't blame i was also looking for the bonus coverage i left once this game was like once we're getting stidham in there and we're starting to get backup defensive players in there i'm like all right red zone channel where are you at this game's over yeah it was uh, it was good but yeah tony romo he is uh he is all of us <laughs> when, when jamar taylor gets the interception the interception that jared stidham throws that just jamar, jamar taylor just needed to exist and be there to catch the terrible, terrible pass that was thrown inside on on an out route. And you could tell Tony Romo just didn't even have it in him. Tony Romo was like, wow, he did a good job driving on the out route. Can we cut to commercial? I'd like to drive right <laughs> out of here. How about you, huh, Jim? <laughs> it was great. It was awesome. Uh, speaking of corners, the Brian Allen saga is officially over in San Francisco. He's been released. No mas. Is, for the best. Is Icarus. We Icarus flew too far to the sun. That sun, it. that Miami, that sweet Miami sun. The Jordan Willis trade is official. In the offseason, uh, this is a fun fact from Matt Barrows as well. He went to Nashville and hired Jim Washburn as a private coach. Jim Washburn, if you remember from the preseason pods, is the father of the wide nine and a mentor to Chris Kosurik. So there's a pretty straight line from Chris Kosurik to getting Jordan Willis because of Jim Washburn. Same thing with Kerry Hyder. Kerry Hyder is another Chris Kosurek favorite. 
And it just speaks to the power of the position coach, which we talked about a lot last year. But the, the position coach controls a lot. Another instance, dictating personnel. Need a guy, they're going to go get somebody they know. Yeah, that's right. Last thing in the quick hits, the revolving injury door. I think this may be a permanent section because there, there has to be a section where we update you on all the things that have happened or will happen because at this point, it's a constant question. <laughs> K1 Williams may come back this week, back to his nickel spot, which is going to be good, maybe, because uh, Tyler Lockett is up on deck next. Uh, and less likely is Tevin Coleman. He might come back this week. But that is a little less determined. Debo Samuel, hamstring strain, out for a couple of weeks. Likely the next two games. I know, that sucks. That's a really big kick to the dick. Um, the, he, what sucks is the Thursday night game right after the, the Seahawks game. So that's why he's probably going to miss two games. I think if it were a full week, he may have come back. But who the hell knows? Um, and Jeff Wilson, of course, goes on IR with a high ankle sprain. At this point, I'm getting really good at diagnosing high ankle sprains. I saw the replay on Sunday and I was like, yep, that's a high ankle sprain. That's exactly what it looks like. It's not good. It's not good. I'm no doctor. I just watch a lot of Niners football. All right, let's get to the final segment in today's show. It's going to be a preview of the Seattle game and a quick sojourn down the NFC best, aka NFC West. Question for you, David. Was it better for Seattle to lose the game to Arizona? or for Seattle to win the game against Arizona if you're thinking about the 49ers' playoff hopes? I guess... I, I think you would have wanted them to win, right? And just maintain, like, add the Cardinals another... Get, get the Cardinals another loss and then hope that you can beat the Cardinals the second time around and then you, like... You know, you push the Cardinals down. I think you have a better chance of pushing the Cardinals down maybe than than pushing Seattle down, right? Like Seattle's probably, even with that loss, going to stay at the top, I would guess. Yeah, I, my, my thought was you want chaos in the division. Like you want everyone to get, like you want everyone pulled down to your level so you can still win the division with two wins against Seattle. Because at this point, you still have two games against Seattle. I don't think that they're going to win both games. I think... Like, what if everyone splits the game against each other? You know, Arizona's yeah. one and one against the Niners, you know, and the Seattle's one and one against the Niners. You know, that's that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking you pull everyone down to your level so you can still get the division. Because I think that the Niners, I think if you think Seattle wins and Arizona loses, that to me is like, well, the Niners are going after a wild card. And, and so Seattle's going to win the division, and then you're basically wanting to beat Arizona for the wild card. What I was thinking was, no, bring Arizona down to your level. Have everyone come down here with two, three, two, three losses, and then see if you can win other games to win those tiebreakers and get to the top of the division. Yeah, see, I think, like, to me, top of the division seems like such a stretch right now that I think, like, the wild card is definitely the most likely. So I, I'm with you on, like, the chaos, but, like, I would almost rather one team separate a little bit. Like, let Seattle just, like, hang out at the top, and, like, let's bring... Arizona and the Rams like way down right and like push them down and, and try to like get oh because I think right now right if the if the playoffs were to start I think both uh Arizona and the Rams would be in correct um right as those those wild card spots so I think yeah put them down I I think when you, when you start lumping everybody closer together I don't think that bodes as well for them like maybe that's their best path to the division but I would say like 
odds are higher for them to get a wild card at this spot than to somehow manage to pull out the division. The NFC West has a combined 19 wins between the four teams. There is not a team under 500 at this point. The NFC East has a combined seven wins between them. No one really wins when watching the NFC East. The first placed Eagles are two, four, and one. They're in first place by virtue of having a tie. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But uh, so that was just, you know, I, I, and I actually haven't thought too much about all the different playoff scenarios about what happens if, you know, they win. So this was just kind of like my gut. Someone asked me like, hey, what do you like? If you're root, like, what's your rooting guide here? Are you rooting for the Cardinals to win or Seattle? And I was like, I hate Seattle. So I want the Cardinals to win. And that gets chaos. And the Niners going to win the division. So, you know, that's, that was really, it was really an emotional reaction. But, you know, you know so <laughs> maybe we'll take a look at, at some. We're too early in the season to look at some of the uh, kind of playoff simulators. But yeah. maybe we'll, we'll create one of our own on a spreadsheet or something. Um, the, the game against Seattle. These games are always wonky. They're always nuts. But this is a very different Seattle team even if they are still at the top of the division, which is still frustratingly the case. This is a Seattle team that seemingly listened to Twitter, seemingly listened to the nerds, and they let Russ cook. Friend of the pod, uh, George Shahuri, he got Chris Collinsworth to say, let Russ cook on a Sunday night broadcast. And, and I feel like that was what doomed us. And George is a Niner fan. And, and I feel like he needs to answer for this. Because the Seattle Seahawks at this point have one of the highest early down pass rates in the NFL, which was completely counter to how Pete Carroll called games previously. And as a result, you have a a team that has really just absurd amounts of point totals. The problem is their defense is terrible. And they've allowed the most yards through six games in NFL history. Yeah, realize that yardage is not something that we typically care about because not all yards are created equal. We've talked a lot about that. You know, third and getting 14 yards on third and 15 is not nearly as valuable as that 15th yard. But being the worst team in NFL history in terms of yards allowed by allowing 2,875 yards in seven weeks with one bye because they've already had their bye week is not a good look for the Seattle defense. So this game is going to be weird and wonky and it's going to be a game where the Niners are going to have to keep pace with a team with a quarterback that is probably going to win the MVP and maybe should have already won an MVP already not ideal not ideal as you as you spell that out there yeah I I think like the the passing offense of Seattle against where this this pass cover unit at is at right now for the 49ers is is by far the most concerning thing about this game to me. Like, um, I, you know, we mentioned at the, kind of the top of the safety play and and kind of how that was a, a bit of a concern in terms of Moore and, and Harris and the limited that we like limited opportunities that we saw from them in this game against the Patriots. Um, Seattle is just a team that is going to take advantage. Like, they're going to test you. It doesn't matter like really what coverages you're in. Like, it doesn't matter how much you say you want to eliminate those big plays and stay over the top of things like they're going to test you. Wilson's going to make those. Th- I mean, like think about the throw that Wilson made to Tyler Lockett in, in like essentially like not double coverage, but I, you had Patrick Peterson in primary coverage. And then I think a safety that was like trying to get over there to help out. And like 
not bad coverage. Like, you know, it wasn't like Patrick Peterson got roasted out there by, by Lockett. Like, you know, he gave up maybe a, just a, a, a step or something like that, but it's like, they're going to test you. They're going to trust that they can get it. And Russ is going to drop him in there over the top. And it's going to be in what is likely a perfect spot. And it's just going to be very tough for you. So I think you're, you're going to see all of these guys in the secondary tested on these deep routes. And, and it's going to be from Lockett. It's going to be from Metcalf. Um, and, and so I think right now, like that, that is worrisome. I mean, thankfully, like the fact that I guess I'm, I'm really concerned and worried about it, the, the, my track record this season so far means that it's going to be just fine. So I I think you can, you know, feel some comfort in that, I guess. Yeah. This is a game where the Niners are going to have to keep pace. Garoppolo has been minimized the last two weeks. We've talked about the game plans. They get the ball out quick that get the ball. it, It basically into the run game or into passes that are effectively runs. But the Niners are now going to be without Debo Samuel, which is rough because Debo Samuel is a dynamic part of this offense and they lose that. You've got basically, I mean, two wide receivers, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. These were the wide receivers we thought were going to be the one and two with George Kittle. And now you're back to Kendrick Bourne who beat out Trent Taylor, which is right. Trent Taylor's not getting a lot of snaps. Now you're back to Ayuk and some other people. And when you have one less thing to defend, that's going to make the the defensive life for Seattle just a little bit easier. But if Jimmy can't get on track against a defense like Seattle's, you really have to start to wonder because they have no appreciable pass rush to speak of. This is not a good pass rushing team. So Jimmy should have time and he should be able to exploit that defense when he does have time. And he's going to have to. He's only completed one pass that's been targeted in more than 20 yards downfield. And that was this past week. Yep. That 35-yard pass to Brandon Ayuk, that should have been six had it been a better pass. I will give him... So this is this is like one where I will defend him a little bit, which is uh, feels unusual this season. If you look at when he's letting that go, like he actually lets this throw go very early on um, in the route, and it's not clear at the point that he does that Ayuk is going to end up as open as he does. And so he has to make that throw kind of assuming that there's going to be maybe somebody in tight coverage and you're trying to beat that coverage as opposed to leading a, a wide open receiver a little bit more upfield, you know, to so that he can, can score on that. So I'll give him a little bit of a break there. I think it's a good throw for the timing that he has to like let that go in that concept. Interestingly enough, Garoppolo has been throwing deep more frequently this season than he has uh, than he did last year. He's up to a whopping eight percent of his passes being deep, uh, and this that that puts him twenty eighth out of thirty five qualifying quarterbacks. Last season he was dead last, thirty six out of thirty six qualifying quarterbacks with a deep pass rate of six point five percent, and this is just during the regular season. This is going to be, I think, one of those bonkers games. Like, you know, for the games against Seattle are always bonkers for one reason or another. But this is going to be a game where I think Garoppolo is going to have to shoulder the load. He's going to have to score some points. And, and the Niners are going to have to come up with another great game plan. But I feel like it's set up for Garoppolo to have a good game. Like, the, the Seattle defense is not good in coverage. Uh, Jamal Adams might not play, they don't have a pass rush. Like it just feels like a good Jimmy Garoppolo game. the the Sea the Seahawks are favored by three. 
And and I think that they they may still win the game, but I think it's going to be another one of those NFC West kind of come down to the wire. I mean, Seattle's Seattle's games are always down to one score anyway. Like this is going to be a one score game, and I just feel like you know the Niners have a real shot here. And if they beat Seattle in Seattle, especially with no fans, right? Because they will have no fans. That then that like the really the a season that was like one game at a time on life support. It's a serious shot of adrenaline. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Like, if they win this game, um, you know, that's that's obviously huge for their outlook on this season and and their ability to potentially get in the playoffs. I mean, we talked about because you lost those games, you know, against the Eagles and against the Dolphins, you you got kind of put behind the eight ball, and every week now you have to kind of go out there and make it happen, right? You don't, you don't really have a lot of room to slip up even against some of these good teams and, uh, you know, this tougher schedule that they're facing. So they, they absolutely have to come out there and do it. I mean, the, the pressure element of it is nice, right? I mean, so Seattle has the lowest pressure rate in the league right now. 21% of the time, um, is all that they're managing to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So, which is like less than half of what we're seeing from teams like Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay at the top of the league. So, uh, it, it, the pass rush for them has been in rough shape. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit better play from the 49ers offensive line. And obviously we're seeing some good things from Shanahan to help the pass protection out. So it feels like he should at least, like you said, have time to throw. I just wish that we would have seen some more things from him, uh, when he does have those chances and he does make those throws downfield, I think we're still, it's kind of like an up and down thing. I mean, his accuracy in this game was still very, very low. Again, looking purely at ball location, not looking at, um, you know, completion percentage or even adjusted completion percentage accounting for drops or anything like that. Like looking at where the ball is actually placed on the routes that he's throwing, um, was again, one of the bottom marks in the league this week. Um, and, and this is throwing to a lot of open receivers because Shanahan's doing such a great job at scheming it up. And I mean, hell, a lot of his throws the last couple weeks have been behind the line of scrimmage, right? Like easy throws. And, and so like, that's a little concerning for me, right? It's just like, when are we going to see that accuracy? Are we going to see that accuracy come back? Um, because yeah, I think this is a game, even if they manage to have a great game plan, um, like they've had the last couple weeks and, and get some things going early on um, that are schemed up like they're going to have to throw. Like, I, I don't think you can continue doing the, the reason those things have worked. So well the last couple of weeks is you build that lead really quick and then you just kind of fall back, right? You fall back on the run game. You go to really simple stuff in the passing game and you just kind of like bleed out the clock and, and um, you know, get, get your win that way. And I don't think you're going to be able to do that against Seattle. Like even if you manage to get the early lead, they're going to, you know, their pass offense is good enough that they're going to be able to like get points on the board and, and likely keep things close. So I, I think eventually they're, they're going to reach a point where, yeah, he does need to make some throws, make some more stuff happen down the field. And I just am not overly optimistic that he can do that consistently yet. Here's the thing that you don't want to see if you're thinking about another minimize a quarterback game plan that could be in the Niners favor. The Seahawks have the second best overall run defense grade as a team from PFF. They're fairly good at defending the run at a per player per snap basis. Now, the one thing I think that can unlock all of that is Jermichael Hasty. Jermichael Hasty finished the week fifth in elusive rating. He forced 
a just a, a missed tackle every third second. Every fourth step was a missed tackle. His elusive rating was 96.7. The only players with a better elusive rating were, were Mike Davis, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Chase Edmonds, and some numbnuts named Chris Carson. But that was just on five attempts. Yeah. Jermichael Hasty is the key to unlocking this game against one of the better run defender uh, run defenses in the league. That's that's what you're here for. This is what I'm saying. Jermichael Hasty is going to unlock it all, and that's how the Niners are going to win. Cool. <laughs> if that's uh, if that's where we're at, if that's what we're relying on to uh, to get this W, like, yeah, not. No, that's I, I do love Jamichael Hasty. I needed to give some Jamichael <laughs> Hasty love on the pod, but it's going to be a Jimmy game. It's going to have to be a Jimmy be. game. Yeah, it's going to have to be a Jimmy game. And, and if Jimmy performs well, if he gets, if his ankle is healthy, if he can get on target, if he can find open receivers, it's going to put them back on the path that they thought they were on when they started the season. And that's exactly where they wanted to be at this point of the season. Yep. It's uh again like and it doesn't get easier, right? Like they they need this win. Um, you know, they're going to, like you said, they've got the short week Thursday. That's against uh Green Bay, um, who obviously one week aside from that, you know, kind of bomb performance against Tampa Bay, like has has been looking very good overall. Um, and yeah, it's just like it's it's one tough game after another. Like there there are no gimmies on this schedule until you get to like maybe late November against Washington, right. Is, is one that they, you really feel like they should win kind of no matter what happens. Um, and so every week, yeah, they need to, to kind of have their best performance. You need Shanahan to continue to be on and, and, you know, kind of calling up these great game plans and, and setting up his play calling. Like we've come to expect from him, like everything just kind of needs to be there and in sync and, and going to script. Um, because if I think if you get off script, it's just, it's tough for a team that's, I think, shorthanded in a lot of spots. Losing Debo, I think, really hurts. Uh, you know, and so it's it's gonna they're gonna have their hands full, I think, in a couple areas. But um, you know, if they've shown us anything in the last two weeks, like they're they're absolutely not ready to just like keel over and die yet. You know, we we joked about after that Dolphins game that the season was over, and it was like, I mean, honestly, it was only like probably half joke. Like it was kind of half. It, it really felt like things were going in a bad direction at that point. Um, and so it's a credit to them to turn it around and, and to manage to get two wins over, you know, quality competition. And they're just going to have to keep at it. Jermichael Hasty averaged 3.22 yards after contact. Every time he touched the ball. Man, Clyde I, really, Edwards I, really, I really thought we were done. I thought that Clyde was Edwards Hilaire was drafted way higher than Jermichael Hasty because, you know, Hasty wasn't drafted 3.25. Just just point three yards after contact. I'm just saying, when you get talent, when you get first-round talent, undrafted, they won football games. I will leave you with that, David. That does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.